When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our very first Women to Watch special with Leslie Mancuso. Leslie is the CEO and president of Japaigo, and I'm truly honored to have the opportunity to bring you Leslie's life story this evening and also to shine a light on the amazing work she's doing to bring better health care to women and their families all over the world. Leslie's success is clear from the numbers, but I want to also find out what it is about Leslie that's made her such an incredible leader to over 3,000 employees in over 30 countries. Her work, especially during a global pandemic, is a lesson in dedication. So I'm anxious to hear how she has pivoted and reacted to an ever-changing healthcare system um, during this pandemic. If you're new to the show, please be sure to visit us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T, to learn more about the show and also see who's coming up next. And we always encourage our listeners to download the podcast. If you're a podcast listener, um, our show can be heard across all um, podcast platforms. So now, again, happy to welcome Leslie Mancuso to our very first special this evening. Leslie, thanks so much for being with me. Thank you so much, Sue. It's wonderful to be with you. Listen, I um, wanted to start out talking a little bit about your background and your upbringing in what you describe as a small town in Connecticut. And um, I know that your mom was a nurse, um, like you are, and I my first question really is, you know, what was it about your mother's own career that perhaps um, led you to pursue the same one? You know, wonderful question. Thanks, Sue. Well, there's no doubt my mom has played a significant role in my life and, and certainly guiding me. But in watching her work, I mean, she went back to school while uh, my brothers and I have three brothers, while my brothers and I were going to school, we were very young, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and had always wanted to be a nurse and went back to school. So nursing to her was very important. Got her career and began working in um, an assisted living home and working with the elderly. And for 
27 years, she worked permanent nights every other weekend. And I saw her devotion to the elderly. I watched, uh, I listened to the stories. I would visit her sometimes at night as I got older and and came in to to see her. And, And what I saw was someone that was just absolutely dedicated to making sure that the elderly had respect, had dignity, and had the care they deserved. Um, even at a difficult times for them. And so that just inspired me. There's no doubt from an early age, watching her commitment as a professional and, and, and seeing what it meant to her to make sure that she went to her job each day, made sure she was there for the, for the people and the clients she served. And, and I, you know, it inspires me still today. I, I am very proud to be a nurse and I usually introduce myself as a nurse first and the president and CEO of Japaigo second, because I believe my nursing career has really been an important fabric of who I am. Absolutely. Um, you know, you received your undergraduate degree in nursing from Southern Connecticut University and also a master's and a doctorate from University of Penn right here in Philadelphia. Um, and also, an, <clears throat> excuse me, an executive leadership certificate from Harvard. So that tells me a lot about your um, commitment to education and your pursuit of education. Tell me a little bit about that and why it was so important to you. Well, there was no doubt. I mean, I grew up in a family where neither one of my parents went to college. My father, my father put my mother through um, nursing school. My father never graduated from high school. So, um, but what was important to our family was that all of us went on and got uh, degrees. And so that, that belief of my parents that all of us needed to access education as much as we could was inbred. Uh, But very importantly, as I began throughout my career, it became very clear to me that for me to do what I wanted to do, um, it was important that I go beyond my bachelor's degree in nursing. I was practicing nursing. I loved it. But I really felt I needed to get a master's degree because my interest was clearly moving in the direction of management and leadership. I didn't quite know what it was going to be at the time, but I knew that my interest was moving in that direction. And quite honestly, my belief has always been that I wanted to be at the table and I didn't want anything stopping me from being at the table that I wanted to be. And therefore, having an advanced education for me was important um, so that, you know, no one could say that I hadn't achieved something or that I didn't have the degrees to do it. It also gave me that bridge and that balance of looking at uh, my work and education and leadership in a very broad way. So from my standpoint as a woman and as a woman that wanted to be in management and leadership, it was very important that I broadened my exposure, that I made sure I understood the world in which I was working in and that I had the education backing for it. At the same time, I was teaching at one point, so I really needed um, uh, that background and that master's degree and that and that Ph.D. You know, Leslie, a lot of times when when we're young, as young girls, um, we struggle with figuring out who we are and, and, and what we're meant to do here. It sounds to me as though from a very young age, you had a very good sense of that. Would you say that is true or were there, were there moments when you were questioning um, yourself? I, um, I, let me say I always wanted to be a nurse from very young age. So that you know, that in some ways was easy because 
I wanted to be a nurse. What I did not know is I, I had never traveled. I did not, uh, was not exposed to traveling. My parents weren't, my brothers weren't. Um, so doing international work, of course, was something very different. So I did not know I would be going into international health, but I certainly knew I wanted to be a nurse and wanted to take that in directions that made sense to me. I think as I evolved in my career, I began to see why my skill set, my talents lent itself to management and leadership. Um, I began to see that, I, as I said earlier, that I wanted the seat at the table at board meetings and the like. And so um, I think you, I certainly evolved, but you know, my foundation was nursing and then evolved from there. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Dr. Leslie Mancuso, the president and CEO of Japigo, which is an international nonprofit uh, health organization affiliated with John Hopkins University. Leslie, we're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want you to share the story of a very pivotal moment for you um, while you were spending some time working in Costa Rica. We'll be right back with Women to Watch. Now, a Woman to Watch Global Health Fast Fact. Every day, about a 1,000 adolescent girls and young women are infected with HIV. Japigo supports girls clubs in sub-Saharan Africa that help young women develop the self-esteem and strategies needed to take control of their lives and futures. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. I don't feel empowered. I don't feel I have a voice. I don't get to be involved in decisions around medicine and staffing. And my answer from Shirley Chisholm, who said this many years ago, is if you don't have a seat at the table, bring your own chair. Thanks so much for being with me this evening for our very first Women to Watch special, which we hope will be a quarterly special so we can bring you additional stories of women doing great things around the world. And this evening, I'm so honored to be joined by Leslie, Dr. Leslie Mancuso, president and CEO of Japigo, um, an international nonprofit health organization, which is doing incredible work for women and their families uh, from all over the world. And Leslie, you know, before the break, I was asking you about your your younger self and just kind of wondering if there were moments where you were unsure of your direction. And it seems you knew from a very young age where you were headed. Um, but you did share with me uh, about a month ago that there was a moment for you um, when you were working Costa Rica where you really understood the importance behind learning the business of healthcare. Can you tell our listeners about that? Well, I was. Thank you so much, Sue. Um, well, I was invited by uh, a nonprofit to go with a group of health experts down to Costa Rica to look at the child health needs of Costa Rica, and that was really my first exposure to global health. 
And it became so glaring in that trip. And this is a number of years ago. It became very glaring that, you know, when you see women and children dying needlessly, it wakes you up to saying, you know, I have these capabilities as a nurse. At the time I was teaching at the University of Pennsylvania, I have these capabilities. I have a responsibility to look at how I can help in this world in a bigger way. And I think it was that exposure and then a few other experiences that came right after that, where I you know, went to Nicaragua, went to Poland, and then spent a summer in China setting up a neonatal ICU program, spent a semester in Indonesia setting up a dengue ward, ICU ward for children. And in each one of those, it resonated to me that this was some, this was an area of work that I needed to be involved in. And in order to be involved and understand that business, I needed to immerse myself in that business. So it was at that point that I left teaching and I went to the, my first nonprofit where I worked there for 13 years and, and moved up uh, through the, the organization um, into many positions that have never been held by women before. And, um, and, and I learned the intent of that was to really understand all aspects of the business so that I could in fact be a leader and no one could say otherwise. And so I learned finance and compliance and human resource and communications and, and obviously programming and wanted to understand it so I could be at that table, any table I wanted to be at, I could bring my chair up there and be there. And the same goes for boards that I've joined. I wanted to make sure I could speak on the broad sense of global health and the business of global health. Leslie, since your arrival at Japago in, in 2002, um, the organization's budget has grown from $5 million to $408 million, and the number of public health programs has expanded from four to 100. That's incredibly impressive. What do you believe it is about you as a leader that has led to such great success? Well, thank you, Sue. And I think as anyone knows that's a leader, it's there are a lot of uh, individuals that are involved in those achievements. Uh, certainly my team and my, and my leadership team, as well as my staff around the world. You know, I came to Chicago 18, 19 years ago as the first woman, there had, it had always been led by men for the first 30 years. And, you know, my, my role, I saw my role as taking this organization that was small, domestically focused, but leading a global health organization and needed to change that. And I think there were certain things, you know, I did since the beginning. One was a commitment to collaboration and partnership. There is so many needs for women and, and their families around the world for them getting access to healthcare that I needed to build bridges and partnerships and collaboration with governments around the world, with local NGOs around the world, within those countries. Um, I needed to build a truly diverse team and you know, there are global experts all around the world in Africa and Asia. They're incredible talent. I wanted that talent brought to Japigo because uh, when you bridge that talent and you bring this talent from around the globe, rather than simply being a domestic organization, you bring uh, uh, more innovations, more ideas. And, and certainly it built 
a commitment and a passion by the entire team. There's no doubt that our innovations began to grow as we brought in all these new ideas and a team that truly wanted to build this uh, incredibly diverse group. At the same time, uh, gender equality has always been part, and that's been, I've used a gender lens with the organization to ensure that, you know, when you look at, at, at women around the world, we know that 70% of 200 million workers that work in health in the social area, but we may, are made up of women, but yet only 25% of them are in leadership positions. So I also had a responsibility to make sure that women are represented in every part of my organization from country directors to technical leaders to vice presidents and the like. And I think it's that combination of, of bringing people together, collaboration, partnerships, diversity, innovation, and, and women and gender looking, using that gender lens that I think has allowed us to build what we've built today. You know, certainly it does take an enormous amount of people and a team to um, get the work done. Um, but about 3,000 employees look to you as as their leader to guide things and make decisions. How connected are you to um, these employees? And certainly I want to ask you about how things have been different during the pandemic and your ability and desire to connect with employees. Uh, I guess you're doing a lot of Zoom meetings, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's very, un if, you, if you watched my schedule over the last 30 years, but certainly at Chipago, the last 18 years, I traveled 80% of my time. I was overseas right. two to three weeks a month. Right. So this is very different for me, and I am anxious to get back out there because part of how I see myself as a leader is really being out there, not only being out there with our partners, the government, the first ladies, the presidents, the ministers of health, but being there side by side with my colleagues, my and my team, getting out to those communities, seeing what's going on. And I think, you know, the best example I can give is, you know, I go out and I see what they're talking about and I'm able to help them look at the situation, perhaps, uh, with a lens, and I'm able to listen to them about what needs to be different in the organization or how we can change things. And, you know, one one quick story is I went to Tanzania. We got a large grant in Tanzania for an, a part of Tanzania that really needed help in maternal child health. Many women were delivering in their homes by themselves out on these islands. And so I went to this facility. The grant was large. It was going to help us train the health workers. You know, we're all about helping countries to help themselves. We're all about helping them build their skills and knowledge so they can carry on the work. Mm. And um, so I went there and lo and behold, I walk in and I see women on a mattress on the floor, all in labor and, and you know, four to a mattress. And I thought, no wow. mosquito nets, women on mattresses. And they're now going to bring hundreds and hundreds of more women into this facility. So right then I'm talking to my staff and I said, I know our grant doesn't allow uh, refurbishing or anything, but what would it take? And in that moment, I worked with the government leaders in that community. They came together with my staff, told me what it would take. And I made the decision right then. I can't bring these women into this facility to sit on a floor 
if we you know, can bring some money to bear from JPIGO, from our own general funds, to be able to help. And I think that's kind of why I go out. That's what I hear. That's what I see. I can understand things. And it's very important to me that I connect with my team. So of course, now I'm doing weekly meetings with different countries so I know what's going on. I do staff meetings every month by Zoom, but it's not the same as me getting out there and seeing the mothers, meeting the midwives, meeting the nurses, meeting the doctors, um, you know, seeing the work we do and hearing from the countries what they want. The key is we're helping them with their goals. Right. You know, Leslie, listening to you, I can't, I so much hear um, not only your passion, but you, you're just a doer, and I would say practical as well. And, you know, one of the, the questions I have for you to, is to talk about the, the fundraising. One of the greatest tasks for any nonprofit is, is to get the money. And I really want to find out from you what your strategy is. You know, what, what do you find that works? Um, you're dealing with some very um, high-profile people, influential people. And I want to dig in a little bit more when we come back from the next break and, and find out how you do that so successfully. Stay with us. I'm here with our very first special and Dr. Leslie Mancuso, President and CEO of Japaigo. We'll be right back. Now, a woman to watch global health fast fact. Lack of access to safe, quality surgical care is a leading cause of deaths globally every year, more than HIV, malaria, and TB combined. Timely, safe cesarean sections can avert nearly 100,000 maternal deaths, 25 to 30 percent every year, and reduce neonatal mortality by 30 to 70 percent. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We can no longer, we can no longer be timid. We can't wait for someone to ask us to come into a conversation. Now is the time for we as a profession of nursing to develop plans for the future. I'm having a wonderful conversation this evening with the CEO and president of Japigo, an international nonprofit, um, which is a health organization, um, again, affiliated with John Hopkins University. Leslie, real quick, a, a question I had at the top of the show that I forgot. Dr. Theodore M. King, um, a champion for women's health, was really the force behind the founding of Japigo. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about him. Thank you. He definitely was the force at the time that he started Japigo. It was really a time where many OBGYNs around the world, particularly in low resource countries, did not have the latest information about, about family planning, about maternal child health services. 
So under his leadership, what Japaigo started with is bringing these OBGYN and nurses from Africa and Asia and Latin America here to the States. Now, again, this is, you know, many years ago, this is in 1973, bringing them to the States and, and helping them learn new skills, new knowledge, so they could go back to their countries and help their countries. So the premise of his is still the same. Our goals are to help the country identify their health issues, build the innovations with them together and help them to innovate the, you know, implement those innovations so that they can carry it on without us. Right. So that was his beginnings. Yes. And I love that, you know, helping, helping a community to be independent should always be um, the goal. Um, That's right. One of the greatest tasks for any nonprofit is, is raising money, getting the money, because, you know, you can go into a community and see what needs um, they have. That story you shared about those women in labor is amazing to me. Um, what what can you share with our listeners about what has been successful for you um, in in fundraising and getting people to be interested in your cause? Well, I start out with the premise that uh, where women live should not determine if they live. So if you believe in that truly, that wherever women and wherever families are, they deserve to live no matter where they're born. I think that that uh, lends itself to being able to look at how to get your messages across. Like, what you know, why I'm so passionate about women, why I'm so passionate about women's impact on our world. And I think what we what I've done is really first build an incredible advocacy and fundraising uh, a, a board that really is helping me co- connect with people that so I can tell the story so I can relate the story and work on that story. So that there's one incredible group. That's my board of advisors. That's that's helping me advocate and helping me look at who might be interested or how can I get them interested in this topic. At the same time that's going on, I did not have a group that that wrote any grants or that raised money when I came to Japaigo. Um, it was a very uh, small group when I came to Japaigo. So I really made an investment right off the bat and and helping the organization learn how to tell its story of its good work and to apply um, to get funding for its good work. And so that's been something I started right away when I when I came on board 18 years ago. And I believe that when you have excellent programs, when you have excellent technical uh, uh, assistance, that helps you to raise money. We've been recognized. The UN recognized us uh, several years back for our work in population. We got the only award the UN gave that year. And part of that's because our work is seen as quality. It's seen as working side by side with the governments, helping them to do for themselves. And it comes from that premise that if women survive, their children are 10 times more likely to survive. If, you know, if women are surviving, their families are intact, their, their communities are intact, and it builds a much more prosperous country. And so, you know, all those things come into the fundraising platform. You're listening to our very first Women to Watch special this evening. I'm with Dr. Leslie Mancuso. Um, Leslie, Japaigo develops health training programs for doctors, nurses, and administrators um, that you have 
I guess, field offices in more than 30 countries worldwide. I'm wondering if you could share with us um, where you may have seen the greatest impact or perhaps a success story in, in one of these countries. Well, there's many, and that's a, that, that's always a hard one for me because I bet I could take, yeah. I could take all your time talking about it. But let's let's talk about um, countries that perhaps you don't hear as much in the news, although maybe a little bit more. One of our commitments as an organization has been that we would we would not just be going where where all the resources are, but we'd also be go we'd be working in countries that need us. Now, understand we've been. We've worked in 155 countries to date. So um, I, I made, we made a commitment to West Africa uh, uh, five years, eight years ago to really make sure we were there, but I wanted to make sure we didn't leave and that money was not um, an inhibitor of us staying. So I really uh, worked with my team and, and I think Burkina Faso is a wonderful example where we had... Uh, we have a way of screening and treating for cervical cancer that we worked on dating back 20 years ago when no one ever talked about cervical cancer, but it's a number it one cancer for all women around the world. And by the time they're screened, which most women aren't, um, they are, uh, they, uh, they have cancer and it's, it's, um, uh, they don't have the treatment to be able to survive. So here we are in Burkina Faso, women have never been screened um, we we didn't have a lot of money, so we taught a small group of physicians and nurses and midwives how to screen, and they were so committed to this, knowing that their country had never had um, this screening and treating program, and women died of cervical cancer. It's a horrible death for women around the world, and so what they did is they took it on, and even though we had very limited resources at the time, they helped us take this on and begin to expand it within their own hospitals, within their own community. I went out with them to a community event with this facility that we had taught and the government. I went out and there were 400 women waiting in this one community. Some had walked four hours to go oh there. My and they came there and they, they knew this was their first screening they would ever have in their life for cervical cancer. Many of, most of them mothers, most of them way beyond what we would have done when we screened for cervical cancer. And I looked at them and I said, this is what this is all about. It's helping these countries learn some information. They're experts developing their own experts and these experts taking it on and really moving and trying to scale it up throughout the country. Now, the, the beautiful story of this is other donors have come in. This work has been expanded throughout that country. And, and I look at that and think so many women's lives have been saved by that one program. Small, it started so small and it has scaled up and, and really affected many women's lives and their right. children's lives. Right. Wow, that's amazing. And I wish we did have time to hear more stories. Um, listen, we're going to go into our last break. I'm speaking with Dr. Leslie Mancuso, the president and CEO of Japigo. We will be right back. Now, a woman to watch global health fast fact. 
Malaria is both preventable and treatable, but is a leading cause of death and disease in many developing countries, with young children and pregnant women most affected. Chapaigo reaches millions of pregnant women during prenatal care to prevent and treat this deadly disease. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Dr. Leslie Mancuso, President and CEO of Japaigo. Um, and Leslie, listen, we can't have this um, very special show without talking about how Japaigo has been dealing with the pandemic. Um, you're obviously in the healthcare field, and this I'm sure has been very disruptive. So tell us a little bit about um, how you've pivoted and, and what the greatest needs are right now. Well, thank you so much, Sue. Certainly COVID has affected all of us. And this is something, Japigo has worked with emerging threats like Ebola and Zika and SARS before. So our experience in uh, a pandemic like this, unfortunately we have it and have worked in it um, but, you know, our work right now is kind of a dual mission, if you will. We're trying to mitigate the effects of COVID in all of our countries protect by protecting our staff, protecting those we, we care about. And at the same time, we're trying to ensure that they get their essential health services that they need because so many of the countries we work in have fragile health systems and lack of trained providers. And, and we need to help them during this Kind of dual mission that we're working on. So Japigo in all of our countries, we're really working on both of those. And, and we've seen that COVID is not an equalizer. It's very much a magnifier of inequalities that exist in our world. And unfortunately, it has dramatically affected women. And uh, we're seeing that women are affected financially, emotionally, physically. We're seeing their, that mental health is impacting uh, women more than men or at least they're speaking to that. Um, we're seeing that women's health and you know, maternal child health, we saw this as well in Ebola. So our work is trying to not have clinics closed because workers are afraid to go to the clinic because they don't have PPE or they don't know about washing hands or social distancing or what needs to be done. So our work is about training them around what's important to do about washing hands, about making sure we find we've been fundraising for PPE, making sure we have the PPE for our staff and them, and at the same time, helping them look at their clinics. And, you know, in Zimbabwe, we had to look at a clinic that was running that was not offering services because they were afraid. And we had to rework the clinic so that pregnant women could go to one portion of the clinic and not be exposed. And, and, and there were other ways of working. So malaria patients went into another area of the clinic. And so there's been many of these types of things that we've had to do to make sure that women still get the care they need, the maternal child health care they need. We also have seen, obviously, gender-based violence increasing and, you know, all the progress we've made in HIV and maternal child health and, and all the, you know, we're, we're so afraid that this is going to stop. So 
Our work is about making sure that if clients are HIV and they're on medicine, we get them 90 days of medicine in South Sudan, or we bring the medicine to them in, in South Africa. And, and the same goes for all the other areas we work in. That's, that's our commitment. What we're excited about is we're bringing our expertise here to Baltimore now. And we're helping, um, working with the Baltimore Health Department and, and the city to help bring our expertise in contact tracing, in capacity building, and very much in scaling up to the city. So we're thrilled to be able to take all that we've learned all these years and bring them right here to Baltimore. Leslie, you are um, seeing things that most of us do not see in our lifetime and and for multiple reasons. But one of the things I think often about is how um, someone like you, who was doing the kind of work that you are doing, stays hopeful, so hopeful in in seeing so much devastation around the world. And I, I wonder if you can take a few minutes to share, you know, what your personal day-to-day mantra might be or, or what you say to yourself um, in times of worry or stress. Well, that's a very good question, Sue. Um, I think when you're fighting for women to live and you're fighting for children to live um, and you're fighting to make sure they have access to uh, life-saving care that's of a quality nature, I think um, that keeps me driven. I, I am an optimistic person anyways, but even in moments that I know there's a lot on the shoulders. With COVID, a lot happened. I had to shut countries, you know, get everybody home, protect everybody. A lot has happened with it. But the same thing, I still see that woman's face. I still see that nurse or that doctor saying, Thanks for giving me these skills. Uh, you know, I can now use them. I still see the Minister of Health saying, Leslie, thanks for coming in and helping us with this problem. We can do this now. So every time I have that moment, I think of those faces, I think of those names, and I think of those women that are surviving and those families that are healthy. That keeps me going. And it makes me even more determined. I am very determined to be part of, and again, we're, we're partners, we're partners with many people. So I feel very determined to help these countries uh, be able to take care of their own women and families. And that just uh, supersedes any downtime I have. That's a wonderful um, outlook, I would say, you know, to stay in that place of optimism and stay in the place of, um, recognizing things that are working rather than, you know, gosh, it, it would be overwhelming to think about all the places and all the problems and all yeah. the things that need to be done. I think that's great advice. Well, and I think you, when you look at it, there are incredibly talented uh, uh, health professionals around the world now in all these countries. I believe in them. I believe, I'm seeing it with COVID. They immediately wanted to learn what to do for COVID prevention, COVID-19 prevention, and they went out and got the skills. And so, you know, nurses that went out and got skills in India are now out in those communities, helping in the villages, helping the community health workers. So I have a belief because I see the, the incredible talent that's out there. You know, I read some of the statistics um, on the website and, one statistic stood out to me. The leading cause of death to girls ages 15 to 19 
in developing countries as complications due to pregnancy and childbirth. That really kind of hit me in the gut, I'll say. That's right. Um, are you seeing any progress in this area? Oh, yes. And again, that's why COVID has been so concerning to us, because we were, we have been making progress. We've cut the maternal um, uh, death rate down dramatically. Now, having said that, we still have one woman every minute and a half dying due to pregnancy-related causes, but we've made dramatic progress in, um, in you know, maternal health. And so you just go to countries that I see, like Afghanistan, where women, the rate of women dying was so high years back, but now they have new systems and, and we've brought to them new ways of doing things where, you know, there's a pill so that, you know, the number one reason women die is due to bleeding. And so there's a pill if they're out in these remote areas and they can get this pill that allows them to stop bleeding and, and will save their life. And we just needed to work with Afghanistan and the government and the midwives to get the system and now they're using it and women are living. So, you know, I have hope when I see this and I have hope for those health workers and those governments um, that are working and believe in, in the health of women and their families. You know, um, speaking of COVID again, the pandemic, do you have a personal view on, on where you think, I know, you know, this, all of the experts are having trouble agreeing on uh, this disease and where it's headed and, and about it. But um, we're seeing spikes now. You know, they predicted spikes for the fall and the winter. Um, as a healthcare professional, what, what do you think is going to happen? Can you share some positive insights um, around what will eventually, I don't know, make, you know, make this go away or weaken? bring us back to where we were before. <laughs> well, there's no doubt that, you know, even in this country, we're both worried about people that have other conditions that are not getting the help they need and as well as COVID. So we've got to address both of those. But I think, you know, it's been clear that contract tracing is critical and and when it's done and we can and we can identify those that have come into contact you know, that's certainly one way. And that's what we did with Ebola. And that's what we've done elsewhere is look for who, where the spreading is and get that contained. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that need to happen. So contact tracing is important. You know, it's knowing you, you being, knowing you have it, contact tracing that is critical. Without that, you know, with a, with a type of virus that spreads without people knowing, it makes it much more difficult. And at the same time, we now have new therapies. We're learning, you know, you know, all those pieces. It's not one or the other. It's all those pieces have to come together. We learned that with Ebola. Um, and now I hope uh, we will learn that with, with COVID. That's what we're certainly doing with COVID as well in other countries is contact tracing, testing contact tracing. And then obviously if they get it and they're severe, using the modalities that we're learning about. That's what science and research is, is giving us the new ways to treat um, and new ways to carry this forward. But certainly it's a, it's a very concerning time for everyone around the world. Well, I guess, you know, we all just have to continue to do our part. And, right. and um, 
I just want to thank you so much again for taking time to share so much great information about Chapaigo, a little bit about yourself. I'm sure it was inspirational for our listeners um, for this very first Women to Watch special, and I hope to be continuing to support your work, Leslie, and I wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you so much for supporting myself and my team. That is it, everyone, for our very first Women to Watch special. I hope you have a wonderful week and continue to stay safe and well. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park